0: eyes unclouded by hate does not wisdom cry and understanding put forth her voice hello everybody my name's charlie you might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer ce dorset and i wanted to talk with you today about some of the craziness going on in the world i, I do not have any goals or ambitions to turn this into a topical show but there, there are some times when i i feel that I can't help but talk about what's going on in the world because it's insane. So, as of the recording of this episode, there have... Sorry, this is really hard for me to talk about. Um, There have been a number of pipe bombs delivered to people throughout the country, and they have caught the person that they think is responsible for it. And I woke up this morning to news that a synagogue in Pittsburgh had been shot up by a white supremacist, because this is America now. And I could talk about each of these things individually, but that is not something that I want to do. If you want more about the history of this kind of stuff, and my thoughts about the current current events, I do another podcast called Project Shadow, where I recently did an episode um, titled Diversity, Silence, and Anger, where I talk about all of this. So if you want those feelings from me, go over there and check that out. Today, I wanted to be proactive and offer what I feel is the only solution for this. And I'm going to be talking to you today about the 12 steps to a compassionate life that we're Put forward by Karen Armstrong and the Charter for Compassion, you can learn more about this at CharterForCompassion.com. I'm sorry, .org. And if you haven't signed the charter, you should read it and think about signing it. It, it is more of kind of a petition to the world that we want to live in a world where people basically live by the gold and silver rules that we do unto others as we would have them do unto us, and that we do not do unto others as we would not have them do to us. And that should not be a controversial concept in 2018, but it is. And as part of the rollout for the Charter Charter for Compassion, Karen Armstrong released a book called The Twelve Steps to a Compassionate Life. And I would like to talk with everyone today about those 12 steps and how we can implement them not only in our lives but in our communities and in our world um i will be linking to a booklet from the charter for compassion on the 12 steps in the show notes so just check out the show notes for a link to a booklet that goes into detail about all of this um I, I, there's so much I want to say, but I'm going to try to uh, keep this as uh, simple as I can make it because I want to get through all 12 in one episode. So the first step is to learn about compassion. And that may sound simple, but I have learned from experience over the years when I have talked to people about compassion that they don't understand what it is. To begin with, compassion is not an emotion. That's pity, and pity doesn't help anyone. Pity is when you look at somebody and go, "Oh, they're suffering. Yeah, that, that doesn't help anyone. Compassion is a stance that you take. It is an active mindset that you are going to try to relieve as much suffering in this world as you possibly can through your words, through your deeds, and through the activities that you engage in and the people and groups that you support. It is most simply the gold and silver rule that I talked about at the very beginning of this podcast. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That is the golden rule. The silver rule, don't do unto others as you would not have them do unto is a very good corollary because you should do, treat people like you want to be treated, and don't treat people the way you don't want to be treated it's it's this is the simplest concept in the world but it seems to be really difficult for people to grasp when we are trying to act and engage in a creative compassionate way we should evaluate our actions through this prism are we in fact actually treating others the way that we want to be treated Are we, in fact, not treating others the way that we do not want to be treated? And being brutally honest with that. Because I think a lot of what allows us to deny our innate compassionate selves is this ability to lie. I I have met people who have tried to deny my homosexuality or deny my transness. And they try to argue with me that if they were in my situation, they would want people to try to erase those components off of them. That is not true. That, that is a beautiful and brilliant lie that allows someone to feel that they are acting from a place of compassion when they are in fact not. First of all, Jesus talked a lot about compassion, and I will be talking a lot about this from a Christian point of view because I am a Christian. This is what Jesus meant when he said, don't judge others. Judge not lest you be judged, for you shall be judged by the same judgment that you yourself mete out. Right? Don't try to take the log out of your friend's eye before taking the beam out of your own eye. When we judge others, when we... When we point at something in others that we do not like, more often than not, we are pointing to something in ourselves that we do not like. And while I'm not trying to say that every homophobe is internally, you know, latently a latent homosexual that they are denying themselves, that's not true. But they probably do have some hang up with sex or sexuality and that inability to express their own sexuality is feeding into their disgust of other people. People who despise others based on their gender often have a root problem with their own gender. And I'm not saying that they're secretly trans, but that maybe they were bullied a lot into being a real man or the like. And thus, they are acting out in a way that they feel is appropriate to make sure other people endure the same things that they do. In fact, when I talk about bullying with some people, they point out that they were bullied in school and they turned out fine. So why shouldn't everybody go through it? It's good for character. It builds character. No, it doesn't. I had a cultish religious group um, that claimed to be Christian bully me a lot in school. They would kill animals and leave them at my house. They would harass me in school. I would walk down the hall and they would chant Antichrist and other things at me. And sometimes would even throw things at me when I went through school. And this had a very negative effect on me. Bullying does not make one stronger. Surviving bullying might, but the bullying itself doesn't. And that's the problem That they don't see that's the thing that they don't see and this is why it is important to learn about compassion this is step one and it is in some ways the most important step here how do you help other people how do you make things better for other people how do you aid how do you be a good ally for someone that's of a different ethnicity or gender or sexuality from you you have to learn those things And that's step one. We learn about compassion. Step two, we look at our own world. Now, this is very important because everyone's situation is going to be different. When I lived in Maryland, things were very different than when I lived in California and are very different from where I live now in America's heartland. The more we learn about the world that we live in, the more we learn about the people around us and what is going on around us, we find it possible to engage it with more wisdom, understanding, and compassion. And this is a very important thing. We can talk about systemic problems. We can talk about how many of the problems that face us go back for decades and or centuries, and in some cases, millennia. I mean, anti-Semitism was started almost 2,000 years ago by a man who desperately wanted to be Roman emperor and needed to show that he defeated one of the great existential threats to Rome when he crushed a minor rebellion in Judea that really posed little to no threat to Rome at all. But he he turned the propaganda machine on and demonized the Jewish people that he fought against to show how great a conqueror he was and that he deserved to be emperor. And... That filtered into the culture and comes all the way down to us today. Many of the horrible things that are said about Jews to this day comes from the Flavian emperors, And that was almost 2000 years ago. It infected Christianity and Christianity took up the charge. It infected the various cultures of the Roman Empire once it collapsed and it spread and it spread and it spread and it's a poison. But it's a 2,000-year-old poison that's still affecting us. Understanding that kind of takes the teeth out of it in some ways and shows you the ridiculousness of it. And if you can get other people to see that, maybe they would get that too. I mean, the stories that we tell matter. And understanding their origin and how they came to be part of the culture really does help out a lot. Understanding why... Africans were enslaved in the United States at the rates that they were, well, see, there was this little rebellion that took place amongst indentured servants that was kind of a problem. And so they decided, well, maybe we'll step back on, you know, indentured servitude and just double down on race based chattel slavery. It's a thing that happened. And there are a lot of other causes in there. And that's Why it's important to evaluate the world that you live in, because I don't know what all countries you're listening to me in. I'm talking to you from the United States, and so I have a very American perspective on these things. Your culture may be different. Your history may be different. And that's a very important thing to learn. And when you go into any situation assessing it and understanding its history and what made it the way that it is, that will help you understand and be able to operate within that world. This is one of those places where knowledge truly is power. So learning to see why these things occur. In fact, most modern racism that exists today comes from the attempts of uh, various corporate capitalists to do union busting. See, they worked really hard to make sure that the unions were segregated. And then once they were segregated, they would use the African unions, the African-American unions as leverage to depress the wages of white workers because they would always give you know, black workers less money, and so when the white unions would strike, they would say, "Well, we'll just what if we just fire all of you and hire those black people?" And so they sowed those divisions, they sowed those hatreds for their own benefit. See, nobody hates just because it's fun or it's easy. Someone profits from it. Someone benefits from it. And learning to see where that profit is will really help you learn how to actually deal with these issues as they arise. Step three, compassion for self. This was the hardest one for me because I've been bullied. I have body dysmorphia. I have a lot of self issues and have had a lot of self-issues for the majority of my life. I never felt smart enough. I never felt good enough. I never felt attractive enough. I've never been thin enough. All of these things were constantly hammered into me throughout my childhood, and into my youth, and into my teens, and into my adulthood. And I internalized a lot of that self-hatred. But you have to remember, for us to actually practice the Golden Rule... We have to start by being compassionate to ourselves and realizing that my body is my body. Just say that out loud. It's it's an oddly liberating thing. My body is my body. I mean, I can work out. I can try to eat right. I can do things to try to be thinner. But, you know, even when I had an eating disorder and was extremely thin, extremely thin, like you could see my bones thin, I still thought I was fat because I'm barrel-chested. I'll never be archetypically thin. That's just something that isn't in the cards. for And so it's unrealistic for me to look at that and go, well, one day I will have that body, especially as I get older. And these are things that we have to start learning. And once you learn to be compassionate to yourself, it's so much easier to be compassionate towards others. But you have to start with yourself. You have to start with seeing yourself as worthy of compassion. Because if you're not giving yourself the compassion that you deserve, you will never be able to give it to others. I mean, you can give it in like little doses, but not to the level that you need to be able to do it and not to the level that you want to be able to do it. And thus you'll find yet something else that you can criticize yourself for. Because, you know, if you already have self-esteem issues, finding new things to be self-critical about, oh, that's like Christmas, isn't it? But we have to fight those instincts. We have to fight those urges. We have to learn to see our flaws as either things that we can fix or things that we have to live with. I have bad knees. I will always have bad knees. Even if I have surgery, I'll have bad knees. That's just something I have to live with. I have to find workarounds. I have to find ways to make it work. And accepting that and learning to be compassionate to myself is has helped me actually become more mobile and be able to get around better because I'm no longer berating myself because of my own physical limitations. I'm seeing what they are, learning how I can work with them and how I can tweak them and how I can do the things that I want to do better. That's compassion for self. Step four is empathy. Empathy begins with us understanding that there is suffering in the world and starting to stop denying it. Stop trying to avoid it. This, to me, is one of the most powerful things about creation spirituality is this is our second path, right? The via negativa. Suffering and silence is a very real part of our spiritual journey. And so first you accept that it exists. You have to do that. It exists. Suffering exists. And then you learn to empathize with the suffering of others. It may be different from yours. It may be the same. But learning to empathize with them... To be able to grieve with others when others grieve. To be able to feel even a little bit what others feel. That's powerful. That's life-changing for yourself and for others. There are a lot of people that think fairly highly of me, and it's just because I've learned empathy. I'm, I'm not as good a person as they tend to say that I am or think that I am. And that's not me getting down on myself. I I know some people that really think that I am, like, saintly. And, oh, I'm not. I'm definitely not. I have anger. I have a lot of issues that I'm still working through. But I've learned compassion. I've learned to listen to other people and to hold them in their suffering. That is a powerful, powerful thing. Step five is mindfulness. Mindfulness is something that we should probably do an entire episode on. It's something we talked about a little bit on last week's episode when I talked about the Lorica As we awaken our watchful mind, mindfulness is learning to see things as they are in the moment, as they are being mindful, being aware, being truly present in the moment. This can be difficult, especially at first, because we have a lot of preconceptions and distractions that want to cover up reality. We want to see that person who's yelling at us at the grocery store for apparently no reason as a villain or as a monster or as crazy. When we look at that moment mindfully, one of the things that, when I think of, when I'm thinking of a very particular moment in my own life, their hair is unkempt. Their clothes are disheveled. They have a haggard look on their face, like they haven't been sleeping well. She has a couple kids hanging from her. She's had a bad day. It's very obvious when I take even a second to look at her that she's had a bad day. Mm. She's not yelling at me. She's yelling at her situation. She's yelling at the problems that she's having in her life. And I just happen to be the lightning rod in that moment to take in all of that. And when that happens, when you are mindful, empathy is born in you and then compassion. I'm sorry you're having such a bad day, I said in a very calm, peaceful voice. And her face twisted and she said, yeah, I am having a bad And then she actually apologized for yelling. It was, I can't even remember what it was about. But that's the power of mindfulness. Mindfulness is a sort of magic. It's one of the true magics that we have as a person. Thich Nhat Hanh in his book, Reconciliation, talks about bringing mindfulness to places that hurt. And it's so counterintuitive, but it works. Like I said, I have knee and back problems. And one of the best things that I've found for pain is just taking a minute, calming my breath, getting into that mindful state where I'm aware of everything happening around me, and bringing my mindfulness to right where the pain is, and just being there. Mindful of the ache, mindful of the pain. And something amazing often happens, not not always, because sometimes the pain is a bit much, but very often, the pain will actually relieve itself. Because the pain in those situations, at least for me, is the body trying to say, pay attention to me, pay attention to me, something's going wrong, pay attention to me. In my case, it's, you know, the arthritis that I have in my leg. And when I pay attention, it doesn't have to shout as loud because I paid attention to it. And that's one of the miracles that mindfulness brings into our life. It can make everything better. We just have to pay attention and see what's actually going on. It's kind of like the quote from Princess Mononoke at the beginning of this podcast every week. Why are you here? To see with eyes unclouded by hate. That in, of, in and of itself is a mindfulness practice. Step six, action. Oh, action. Action is probably the hardest thing on the list. Because it's one thing to recognize that there is suffering in the world. It's one thing to have empathy for people who are suffering. It's another thing to actually do something. When a friend of yours is crying, to actually reach out and give them a literal shoulder to cry on. And sometimes to cry with them, to just be there with them in that moment, that that's hard, that's difficult. When somebody's having a really hard time finding a way to give a couple bucks to help them out, that can be hard. Finding the right action is often the hardest thing. But this is where we have our rules, right? We're now mindful. We're practicing our mindfulness. We are paying attention to what's actually going on. We have learned empathy. We have studied compassion. And we are going to do to others as we would have others do to us. We are not going to do to them the way we don't want people to us. And so we have our guidelines. They're very clear guidelines. They, They often make it easier for us to understand what not to do then what to do. But there's still guidelines. They're still there. They're still helpful. So we take action. That action could be joining a march for a marginalized group of people just to show solidarity with them. That could be donating to a GoFundMe to help somebody keep from losing their house or to deal with cancer. That could be calling our Congress critters to argue that maybe people with disease shouldn't have to worry about losing their homes when they're fighting to save their lives. Action comes in a lot of different flavors, and it's very specific to the moment. This is why we've started with compassion, empathy, and mindfulness to get here. That's why we've built these muscles in ourselves to get to this point, because finding out the right solution sometimes means... Sitting down and talking to a lot of people to figure out what the right solution is and embracing those diverse opinions and finding a way to navigate between them so that we can have the right one. So that we can find the right one and then realize that what we think is the right solution might not be the right solution when enacted. That, oh, that's probably the hardest thing for us to ever do is to realize that we could be wrong but that's part of compassion. We don't want somebody to blindly be telling us that they're right, they're right, they're right, we're wrong, when they're the one that's actually wrong. We don't want that. We don't want anybody to treat us that way. And so we have to be very careful not to treat others that way. Action is difficult. Action is challenging. Action comes from that place that says, I will help you in the best way we can figure out. Compassion doesn't hurt others, so we're going to start there, and we're going to build. And over time, solutions will present themselves, solutions will be found, and over time we can work towards them and make things better. That's the goal. That's what we're working towards. And it's something that we can do. And something that we're not doing very well right now, action is something that we fail about really hard. And it's because a lot of that previous work, you know, hasn't been done to the level that it really needs to be done. Mm. Step seven, how little we know. This is my, one of my personal favorite ones. The whole point of step seven is to realize we don't know everything. My experience is different from your experience because... You are probably, possibly, maybe cisgendered, maybe heterosexual. I was born white. That colors my opinions about the world and how the world acts. I was in gifted and talented programs in school. I didn't struggle with learning. My niece has a learning disability, and so I've worked for years to help her, and that gives me some compassion towards people who have learning disabilities, some empathy. But it's not something that I've experienced in my own life except for recently when I've tried to learn Japanese because it's very hard for me. And it's a very novel experience for it to be hard for me to learn something. But I'm working through it. I'm doing what I can. Acknowledging how little we actually know about a situation is, the if if I could, of all the 12 steps that we're going to talk about, if I could just inject one into public discourse into the world, this is the one that I would inject. Because every... One seems, especially on television and on podcasts <laughs> like this one, to be so certain about everything. And I think that certitude is a dangerous lie that prevents us from actually getting work done. That actually prevents us from being able to do the things that we need to do. Because when when you are sure that you know the answer, then any answer anyone else has has to be wrong. And while compromise is not always the solution, I mean, you never compromise with a fascist or a hate group, ever. This is not something you do. A lot of times, though, when it comes to what's the best way, best way to deal with health care, what's the best way to deal with national security issues, what's the best way to plan our city, the, the best solutions are probably compromise solutions where a lot of different ideas are hashed out and the best parts of each are found and then somehow found a way to be implemented together, sewn together into a cohesive new idea. Because most problems that we're facing are so complex that it really does no one any good to proclaim, well, I know the one thing that will solve everything. And you notice when I started, I said that one of, one of the things that will help us out is to learn compassion. The reason I said it that way is because compassion isn't the only thing that will help us. There are a lot of other things, and I'm not going to go into what I think those other things are in this episode because they're not germane to this episode. But this is one of the things that I think is most important. And as you've noticed, it itself in every step includes this idea that it's not a perfect and complete solution in and of itself. It has stuff to learn, and it has stuff to teach. Don't pretend to know everything, and don't ever allow anyone to convince you that they have all the answers, because they don't. But together, we can get close. Step 8. How should we speak to one another? Mmm, that's a big one. That's a really big one. I think we should speak to each other through a very simple rubric. I don't know what's going on in your life. You don't know what's going on in mine. So I'm going to talk to you as my equal. I don't think I'm better or worse than anyone. So why should I ever treat anyone as though they were? You see, this is the heart of how we talk to each other. We shouldn't condescend to people. And we should never put people on pedestals. These are the two things more than anything That prevent us from living in a better world. When we show deference to people that are pretending to be better than us. Oh, he who sits on thrones. It's usually men. Not always, but usually. No, I I don't care if you think you're high and mighty or if you appear to be lowly. It doesn't matter. We're all human. We're all the same. Your worth isn't determined by your bank account or how attractive you are, or how much you fit whatever narrative we're currently telling ourselves means you're conventionally attractive, None of those things really matter in the grand scheme of things. And they shouldn't. And the biggest challenge we have is to learn to talk to each other in that way, not showing deference to people who think that they're in power. Especially if you live in a democratic country. There are no leaders in a democratic country. You realize that, right? There are spokesmen. There are spokespeople. There are representatives. There are no leaders. We don't have leaders in democratic society. And we don't have leaders in republics. That's not what we do. We elect people to represent us, to be a spokesperson for us. Not to lead. They may coordinate. That's possible. But coordination is not leading. We don't bow our heads to the coordinator. That's not something that you do. And these are the twin problems that I see in almost everything, that we give way too much deference to people who want to pretend that they're in charge. No, you're not. You're, You're a representative. You're here to speak on behalf of the people that voted for you. That's it. That's all. Nothing more. Don't pretend to be more than you are. Don't pretend to be less. Don't treat people as better. Don't treat people as worse. Treat people as they are. They're just like you. They're going through things. That doesn't mean we don't sometimes get mad. That doesn't mean we don't sometimes get angry. And of course, I'm not saying to show that same respect to somebody who is a fascist or part of a hate group. No, we need to talk to them as compassionately as possible to try to bring them around from the delusional mindset that has them held captive. But eh, we we don't have to respect their ideas, because their ideas are damaging. Their ideas are, in and of themselves, violence. And that brings us to step nine. Step nine is concern for everybody. Everybody. Everyone. See, I have concern even for those members of hate groups. Even the hate groups that don't like me. Because... I know how unfulfilling their life has to be. Because growing up, I I hated gay people. I, I hated trans people, even though I was one. But that is a world of fear and suffering. I want everyone to be free, especially of suffering. Hate is suffering. Hate is suffering. If you hate anything, you are suffering. That is the symptom. That is the sign. That is the proof that you are suffering. We have to be careful here. We have to be concerned for everyone. It doesn't matter if they're in our family, our tribe, our religious community, our country, whether they pretend to be our enemy, whether they are in fact our enemies. I want everyone treated fairly, but I want everyone treated well. My concern for everyone extends to the point where no one should be allowed to advocate violence against anyone in any way, shape, or form. The advocation of violence is harm and should not be tolerated. But at the same time I say that, I, I have great compassion for the people who do such things because I can only imagine what a terrible situation their life has to be in. Now that I'd never admit it. They'd probably laugh if they heard me say that because... They're, of course, just having fun and dot, 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 dot. Yeah, but the amount of fear and self-loathing that goes into demonizing anyone who's not you, that, that, is, that is suffering. We've talked on this podcast quite a bit about metapractice, and this is where metapractice really comes in, where we start with ourselves, our family, our friends, the strangers, and our enemies, and we learn through that practice to have compassion In those rings going out from ourselves. Everybody is under our concern. Everybody is somebody that we need to help in some way. And this is where step 10 comes in, and that's knowledge. Oh, knowledge. See, in step 7, we talked about how little we know. In step 10, we need to share. We need to start looking into things that are other than ourselves and trying to find things in there that we can learn and know about and possibly even celebrate what is it about people that are different that makes it magic see i'm a big fan of star trek and anytime we talk about things like this i just think of that wonderful line infinite diversity and infinite combination and how that should be the natural state of things that we should celebrate that infinite diversity and infinite combination because That's what makes everything better. It's the diversity of bugs in your gut that allow you to eat food. And if you don't have the right balance of bugs in there, you can't eat well and you won't be healthy. See, you can't even eat by yourself because there are countless yeasts and bacteria and other little critters running around in your intestines and in your stomach that are digesting the food for you and with you. See, even those practices, those things that feel solitary, like drinking and eating, you don't do those alone. Why would you think that you would do anything alone? And so we learn to celebrate those good bacteria. And we learn to celebrate those good fungi and those good things that are in us that help us to live and to grow and to be strong. Because remember, compassion begins with yourself. And you think of the diversity of cells that make up your body and the diversity of organs that make it move, the diversity of energies and feelings that flow through you that make you the person that you are, the diversity of experiences that have helped shape your personality and your outlook on life. It's amazing how all those different things come together to make magic inside of us. And now we go to the next step. Look at the magic that diversity is with others, how our lives are ben- benefit from that. If it wasn't for the Italians, we wouldn't have pizza and pasta and all those wonderful things. If it wasn't for the Chinese, oh, so many foods would be missing from my life. Japan, oh, the wonderful foods from Pakistan and India. If it wasn't for Mesoamerica, we wouldn't have those wonderful chilies and chocolates. And think about all of the tacos and various things that we get from Mexico And I'm just talking about food. I'm not even talking about the influences on music and culture and everything else. All the different things that our differences bring together and accentuate and make good. And learning and knowing and seeing and actively seeking out new experiences. Actively seeking out new things. Finding ways to experience things that we've never experienced before that's amazing. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing and something that everyone should try to find a way to do at some point in their life. Step 11, recognition. Recognition is something that happens as we encounter people and cultures that are different from ourselves. And we start to see them in us and us in them. We start to see their otherness as sameness. That yeah, they may do things differently than we do or eat things differently than we do, but that's all just on the surface. And those are just minor things. The the power of compassion when you can start recognizing yourself in others and others in you and starting to see it and recognize it and bring it home, bring it part of us to help them when they suffer and to be with them when they are alone. To accept help from others, recognizing that sometimes we need it too. This is a powerful stage. This is a powerful place to get to because there's so much that we can do for one another. There's so much that we do for one another every day that we forget. I mean, next time you're eating, just look and remember the farmers who brought you the vegetables and the farmers who brought you the animals and the animals themselves who gave their lives for you. And all the countless people who picked and cleaned and packaged and shipped that food so that it could get to you. And if you didn't cook it, the person who prepared it. And all of the spices and seasonings and their long and illustrious history. And the sunlight and the food that fed all of those things. We recognize our interconnectedness. We recognize ourselves and others. We recognize our oneness as a people. We move on. And the 12th step, the hardest step, is learning to love your enemies. And this is something that I have talked about before. It's something that I've just talked about recently. And seeing how in those who mean to do us harm, they are in their heart of hearts suffering in some way. And while I don't believe that we can cure all of them, I think we can prevent them from getting broken to the point where they become our enemies. If we learn through compassion and learn to practice compassion through action, through empathy, through recognition, through knowledge, through learning about others, if we can make the world even slightly better, if we can stop butting our nose in where it doesn't belong and causing where it causes problems and actually do things that do help people, help bring water to the desert, help to bring food to the starving, help to bring medicine to the sick, sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, bring relief from suffering, relief from bondage. We do these things, we make the world a better place. When we impose our will on others, we make enemies. No one is greater, no one is lesser, all are the same, all are equal in the eyes of God. God is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't like you because of any particular thing. He doesn't care your race, your gender, and I say he just because that's what I've been inculturated to say. I could say she, I could say they just as easily because it doesn't matter. Many of the things that we get all bogged down on and fight about and argue about and get hateful and spiteful and all those terrible things about in the grand scheme of things don't matter. Not in real life not in reality they matter in the stories and the narratives that we tell ourselves and they prevent us from being they prevent us from having a good world a world where we can have meaningful relations. and those are the 12 steps of compassion like i said i'll put a link in the show notes to the document in question she actually wrote a book on the subject too if you're interested oh my goodness there's so much going on in the world and i hope that this has helped you if it did and the app that you're listening to me on allows you to rate either this episode or the podcast, please do so. That helps out a lot. That tells the algorithms to uh, show me to other people who might need to hear this. If you know anybody who would benefit from this message or anything that I talk about on this podcast, please share with them. That helps everything to grow. If you would like to be more a part of everything that I'm doing, you can go to anchor.fm and download the Anchor app and follow me I'm Wisdom's Cry on Anchor, and you'll be able to leave me a one-minute voice message. Keep it clean. You can ask a question. You can make a comment. You can suggest an episode that I should do. I would love to hear from you. If you would like to do that, please. If you got a buck, I really hate doing this part, but I, I would really like to make my spiritual practice my full-time job. And if you have a buck that you can throw my way, depending on the app you're listening to me on, there may be a button that says support or support on anchor, or in the show notes, there'll be a link that says support on anchor. If you click that, you can support me at the $1, $5, or $10 levels. That really does help out a lot. The more time I can spend doing these things, the more I can, you know, resources I can bring forward for you. So if you, if you can help out That would be great. But that money does go to me and helps me to do these episodes a bit more full. It's been crazy in the news lately. Be safe. Be with the people that you love. Love everyone that you can. As always, we end in prayer. Dear God, in the name of Jesus, protect us all. Help compassion to grow in our hearts and help our hearts to find a way to help all who are in need. Lord, help us to be safe in this world that your light and your truth may shine forth in it. Together with all the saints, we pray, amen and amen.